0: Warning, do not operate heavy machinery or navigate the slipstream
1: while under the influence of this beverage.
0: The Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzacco. Each week we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda and we take a look at it see what we liked, disliked, and just have a general discussion about each of the episodes. This week we're in episode 17, Fear and Loathing in the Milky Way. Uh, first of all, before we get into this, Ryan, uh, let me apologize to you. I was basically on my deathbed last week uh, with illness. So if my voice goes, um, for you, the listener, as well, I apologize, but uh, I'm still not quite healthy just yet.
1: All right. Well, apology accepted. No, there's no reason to apologize. Actually, I'm I'm kind of surprised that we're even recording a show this week. Um, I really thought we were going to miss because you were very, very ill for, what was it, like 10 days? Something like that, yeah. So we're recording late in the week, and um, so I applaud you for... Even even being able to be here. Well, my dedication to the show knows
0: no boundaries. <laughs> it would seem As, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's fine. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm feeling better. It's just it's it was one of those chest colds where it just settled in mm-hmm. and uh, can't quite haven't quite got rid of it just yet. But we're doing this.
1: Yeah. Well, that's not the only thing that we're dealing with here tonight. True. <clears throat> Uh, We've also, uh, we're right smack in the middle of the United States, Mm -hmm. and so uh, we're recording on Wednesday night, and so if you're listening to this the day we record, then you know probably there were some major storms that went through. So we're recording right in the middle of that, so you might be uh, hearing some thunder.
0: Communities adjacent to ours
1: were on the uh, ABC World
0: News tonight, I saw. Wow. Yeah, because of the weather. Wow. So, yeah, we're right in the
1: thick of it right here. So And we're recording anyway. Yep. And so if you hear any rumbles of thunder, yeah. And I'm not sure if uh, this place is grounded, so don't touch your lips to the microphone. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me back off of yeah. it just a bit. So. Just fair warning. Fair warning. Now
0: that the audience has been warned <laughs> about our various foibles and whatnot, let's go ahead and get right into this episode. Let's get into said. it. All right. For, so uh, a couple of the interesting facts that I came up with for this show. Uh we're seeing uh several uh, actors come back to the show here in the season one, uh, episode seventeen. Uh John Tinch, of course, uh as Gerentix. It's been a while since we've seen him. He was in uh of course the the pilot episodes, Under the Night and Unaffirming Flame. Well he makes his return as Jerentix, the night cider with a grudge <laughs> for this episode. So yeah, uh John Tinch for this one. And then also Peter Kalamis makes an appearance once more. Uh, and you'll remember him in the pearls that were his eyes. He was Grask, the chichen Right. All right. So he returns once again to mm-hmm. reprise his role as a chichen as the uh, one of the casino thugs. Oh, I okay. guess the casino thug. All right. In, in that scene when they're they're following uh, Trance and
1: Harper through the casino. Oh man! See, I wish I'd. Had- I, I saw some of this trivia stuff that you do because, or if I did my own research on it, but I don't, I knew we were going to see him. Cause you said that mm-hmm. when we did that episode yep. and I, this just totally went right by me. I didn't even see it. Well, you get another opportunity because he has yet another
0: teaching role in the second season. So we are actually going to see Peter Columbus once
1: again. Okay. So I guess what? I'll Uncle, give you Uncle Sid let him go or what happened? <laughs> I guess so.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we got a couple of actors that we're going to see. We're seeing them for the first time in this episode, but then we're going to see them later in Andromeda as well. Uh, Rachel Hayward, she plays Andalasia Stalin. Yeah, the, the contact that, that uh, Harper and Trance make contact with in the casino, mm-hmm. the lady there, um, that, was, that was her role, uh, Rachel Hayward, the actress. Uh, she's going to come back for a season two appearance. And then also we have uh, Stalin Kulshov. Uh, that 's the bounty hunter's name in this episode uh he 's played by actor John DeSantis okay
1: because you just kind of did it before and after there didn't i did you? Di- I did yeah. do
0: that i didn 't give the actor name first <laughs> so Stalin Kulshov is the 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 character name that he plays uh John DeSantis is the actor name and he again he plays the bounty hunter or uh sloth as I like to refer to him um <laughs> This He's 6'9", this actor, is what he's billed at. So uh, if you're keeping Tally, he's so far the tallest actor we've had on the show. I, I'm assuming that because I don't know how tall the dude was in Rose in the Ashes that was in the uh, the furry suit. Right. He could have been taller, but we don't know. He might have been beaten this guy by a hair. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's going to come back uh, for a season two appearance as well. Ironically, they're both of these, uh, John DeSantis and Rachel Hayward. They're going to show up again in the second season in the same same episode. So uh, we'll give a shout out to these two actors again uh, when we get to that particular episode. They must have the same agent. Uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. they a package deal. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to give a, a shout out to the line that Jarentix says very early on in this show where he sees Trance. Mm hmm. And he says, aren't you dead? And Trance very quickly quips back to him, I got better. Mm-hmm. This was <laughs> a homage or, or a line from the classic 1975. I knew it. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I knew it. I See, knew you'd appreciate yeah. that. So, yeah, we have to we have to give a shout out to that. Um, let me just go ahead and cross
1: that off of my things to talk <laughs> about later. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, I rained on your parade there. That's all right. And then finally, the, uh, oh, she turned me into a newt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got that.
0: So finally, uh, the name of the, the, the title, uh, Fear and Loathing in the Milky Way. Obviously that is taken from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the 1971 novel by Hunter S. Thompson that was eventually made into a motion picture featuring Johnny Depp and, uh, Benicio del Toro. And as far as I can tell in my research, no correlations between the story in the the novel and in the movie versus the, the show that we have here. Other than perhaps the very broad brush strokes of criminal activity <laughs> taking place and the fact that maybe there's casino involved in both the movie, the book, and the TV sh- and, and and the Andromeda show that we're watching. Mm-hmm. That's really the only correlations I could find in them. Besides just the title itself. hmm Anyway, that's what I got for this show. So let's go ahead and move on. Ryan, why don't you give
1: us the summary of Fear and Loathing in the Milky Way? Sure. Harper and Trance are out in the Maru on a goodwill mission to spread peace and tundra flowers about the galaxy. Harper meets a girl and invites her to come aboard. She should be here any minute. The doorbell rings and we see there's nothing wrong with the Maru's door locks this time as Harper lets the visitor ride in. Now the big reveal. It's not Kathleen, it's Gerentex. Hey, remember that guy? He's the one that hired the Maru crew to begin with to salvage the Andromeda back in under the night, and they marooned him in an unguided pod floating through space in an affirming flame. While revenge would be nice, eh, maybe later. Right now he needs a ride to keep an appointment and to get away from that guy. Outside demanding entry is a bounty hunter named Reaper. He wants Jarentex dead, alive, or whatever, and is indifferent to the safety of Harper and Trance. Harper launches the Maru and guns it to safety, for now. On the voyage, Jarentex is ready to kill Harper, when Harper informs him that he has the power generators keyed to his life signs and that killing him would cause the generators to overload and the Maru would explode, killing everyone could be bluffing so he'll just kill trance instead but harker comes to her defense and says that if he harms one hair on her head he'll kill jarentex but if jarentex kills harper well there's the generator thing and jarentex dies anyway sounds like check and mate but jarentex has another little toy that he'd like to show and tell he implants harper with a microscopic generator that the push of a button delivers a jolting electric shock and hey, while we're at it, let's put one on Trance 2. But there's only one button for the both of them. So, Harper, for Trance's sake, maybe try to keep a lid on the wisecracks for the next 34 minutes or so, okay? Back on the Andromeda, negotiations are not going well with a particular group of Perseids on Sinti four. They think the humans will just screw it up again. Hunt is frustrated. He spent an entire year trying to get worlds to sign up, only have three, and now one is threatening to back out. Harper stops the Maru because he's getting tired. He asks Jarentex for a Sparky, so Jarentex pushes the button. You kind of walked into that one, dude. Harper and Jarentex are about to really go at it when Trance intervenes and plays the sympathy card. How hard it must be to be a Nightsider. Everyone hates them just because they have hundreds of offspring in the water and eat everything in sight until they reach dry land and become sentient. Just then, Harper sends the Maru spinning. Jarentex goes flying, getting knocked unconscious, and drops the shock collar controller, dislodging the Duracells on impact. Trance unties herself and Harper. Jarentex awakens, tied up, and staring down the business end of Harper's nano-welder. He reveals that he's on the trail of Hosterius Diary. What's that? Trance wants to know. I kind of want to know, too. Evidently, Hasturi was a mad Perseid who claimed to have searched the Slipstream and found the lost world of Tarn Vedra, documenting the whole trip in his diary. Whoever finds a diary finds Tarn Vedra, ensuring much power and wealth. With Gerentech still tied up, Harper schemes to use Gerentech's resources to find the diary himself. But there's trouble. Reaper is back, pursuing in his ship. Outgunned and outmaneuvered, Harper lays in an intercept course and plays chicken. Reaper flinches, and Harper makes the escape to Slipstream. Okay, yeah, it was Jarentek's idea. Anyway, they get away. Back on the Andromeda, Becca and Tier discuss how nothing is getting to the Perseids. Not threats, diplomacy, maybe it's time for Valentinology, whatever that means. The Maru reaches the Albuquerque Drift Casino, apparently the location of Jarentek's next contact. They find her, a girl with platinum hair. No, Really? Named Andalasia, who has the data that Jarentex wanted. But she now has upped the price. Harper and Trance hit the tables and clean up, raising enough money for Andalasia, but also attracting the attention of the casino security. They make the transaction, and then are confronted by the goons. Just then, Reaper shows up and threatens to turn Jarentex into a rug. Harper starts shooting. Reaper starts shooting. The security starts shooting. The whole thing is just a big mess. But the members of our main cast get out in one piece. Back aboard the Maru, Jarentex has performed a Houdini act and ambushes Harper as they enter. Jarentex takes Harper's gun and regains control. Back on the Andromeda, Dylan is less than ecstatic with Becca's attempt at negotiations with the Perseids, but now they're calling. And they want to talk to Becca. The morrow is closing in on their next stop, Hasuri's asteroid, as they are being again pursued by Reaper. They land on the asteroid and get inside. Reaper follows them through the booby trapped laden caverns. They lock themselves behind a very heavy door, and Harper depressurizes the rest of the asteroid interior, blowing Reaper out into space. They find Hasuri's room, complete with a dead Perseid and dead Nietzschean. Trance finds the diary. Harper and Jarentek continue their back-and-forth shenanigans. Eventually, Trance gets them both at gunpoint and says she'll kill them both if they don't knock it off and play nice. And she would get away with it, too, because she's cute. They agree to a truce, for now. Back on the Maru, Jarentek's laments, says he did all the work, they get the diary, and he gets nothing, as usual. Trance gives him a pot of Anasterian tundra flowers. He immediately begins scheming how he can capitalize, but then stops, and for once just says thank you. On the Andromeda, Dylan informs Becca that there is an emergency situation on Centi requiring them to get down there immediately. The emergency? Celebration dinner on Sangraria Beach. On the Maru, Harper and Trance have a heart-to-heart about all that happened and confirm they are friends. Best friends. While down on Sangraria Beach, Dylan and Becca finish up shooting what must be the worst Corona commercial ever. The end.
0: Worst Corona commercial ever. (laughs) I like that. That's a fantastic finish. Ryan, I gotta say, I I mentioned it before in my trivia, but I'm, I'm so glad that Sloth was able to find another role to do after Goonies. <laughs> I was I was so glad to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reaper. I, mm-hmm. I forgot that that was his... I guess that was his nickname. The build name, I guess, for the, the show was... What did I say it was earlier? Uh, Kuslov. Yeah, Kulshav. Kulshav, that, I think that was it. Um. So anyway. Very good. Additionally... um. I was also very happy to see that it appears that the locks on the Maru were working this time Mm -hmm. because, you know, Gerantix comes in because they were like, like you mentioned the week or two before they were expecting someone to come aboard Mm -hmm. and they were able to come right out of board. Well, it was Gerantix and they didn't realize it was him, but then the ship locked out the the bad bounty hunter. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, it can work. Mm-hmm. It can't, it, I apparently just somebody has to set them ahead of time.
1: Yeah, I guess so. So I was happy to see the locks work this this episode. Boy, that is a really complicated system. It must be. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. You know, they have the, the technology that they have 3,000 years from now, the ECM generators. Um, they're able to redirect smart bullets, and you can start your car on a cold day remotely. DC. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when when Harbour hands it over to Jaren Tex, and I saw it, I'm like, that looks like a remote start. Yeah, a <laughs> little key fob. Yeah. yeah, I know. Oh, man, that was funny. And uh, evidently, they're also still using AA's. Yeah. <laughs> well, if the design works. Yeah, that's true.
0: A year from now, 3,000 years from now, really, what is better than the AA battery?
1: Yeah, I mean it, yeah, I guess if you need something runs on three volts, just put a couple of those double A's in there. There you go. You know, it still fits in the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I I'd like to think that you could do all that from your smartphone, but Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: but yeah, the uh that's true. It, was it did they show batteries or was there just an obvious clanking sound when it hit I had
1: to go back and play that part again because i was sure there were battery shaped things that came out of it. it was and and i watched i had to i went back and i watched it over again and sure enough the battery cover comes off the back and there's little cylindrical ba- they look just like AA batteries that were covered up in like i don't know some generic colored of duct tape or something i it's a, I, I joked in my summary of duracell who knows they could have been ever ready energizer whatever but they were covered i'm i'm but, pretty but sure they, were they looked like batteries yeah. to me well
0: props to them for making it relatable to us simpletons in this modern age that we're in
1: yeah i guess so i've i just got to figure they've got some sort of a you
0: would you would hope that they would have done something cg with it whether they had like their own glow or something (laughs) like that it's like their batteries but they're nuclear powered batteries well i mean let's
1: consider this the the thing that they control is a micro generator that that can put out enough voltage
0: (laughs) (laughs) you leave it all long enough you think maybe it would bake the flesh of the person that's it seemed
1: like it it. it was pretty powerful i mean it it completely neutralized Harper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, you know, but you're but the thing that powers the thing, to power the thing is a AA battery. <laughs> that's just very strange to yeah. me. You know, just just put some of those little micro generators inside there. Maybe sure. it's maybe it's too much power. It would blow. Oh man. That's that's funny. I hadn't given too much
0: thought to it. But yeah, now that you're pointing pointing it out. <laughs> you're right. That was <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, we have all of this vast technology, travel the stars, <laughs> and it's, you know, we still have AA batteries powering stuff. That's, well, that's something to uh,
1: relate to, I suppose. Well, you know it. I guess it's kind of cool for, for us, because we, you and I, Ethan, we live in a town where there is a factory where batteries are made. True batteries that are on the space shuttles uh,
0: they were on the space shuttle the hubble space telescope
1: yeah they use they use the they batteries, use batteries yeah. from our hometown they're that's made right. right here yeah so so that's neat yeah there there are batteries in space eagle pride <laughs> oh man so how about that door um they're on the asteroid they hide behind that door and uh you know what just just looking at it on the surface, no big deal. They get behind that door; it's sealed. Uh, there's 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 no reason to think that they're going to get uh, they're going to get sucked out into the vacuum of space. Um, except for the fact that Harper says something that to me just throws the whole thing off. What is that? He talks about the door and how solid it is. He says that it's made of solid fluorine mesh. And basically, nothing can get through that unless they're going to be throwing nukes at it, which is cool. All right, a solid Florian mesh door, except for the huge pane of glass in the middle of it. True. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe Florian mesh
0: is translucent, and it's just woven, you know, it's embedded through the entire thing, even in the glass pane.
1: Have they developed transparent Florian mesh yet?
0: Okay, maybe it's transparent aluminum. Maybe. It's trans- transparent aluminum resistant to nuclear missiles. Uh. <laughs> Hello, computer. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Sparky Cola. I, 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 I bring this up now just because, you know, it is something that we've learned about the universe. But just the fact that, as Rami points out, no nutritional value, <laughs> rots the teeth, slowly dissolves the di- digestive tract. Uh, And then she makes the observation that Harper drinks 3,000 milliliters of this a day. Now, I am a dumb American Mm -hmm. and had to go back and convert over to the old imperial system just to kind of be able to to quantify, Mm -hmm. to relate to what 3,000 milliliters is. I know there are listeners out there that already know this uh, in milliliters. Cheerio, props to you. Um, 100 ounces is uh, well, actually, it's like one hundred point one hundred one point three. I oh think is how many ounces that relates to three thousand milliliters. And my wife says I drink a lot of Dr. Pepper. I'm no health expert. Mm-hmm. That to me seems unhealthy. Yeah, <laughs> of anything, of anything. Yeah. I mean, they don't even say you should drink that much water. I know. I have a Camelback uh, hydration system that I use when I go mountain biking. Yeah, uh, it is a one hundred ounce bladder. When I am working my hardest on a bicycle in the uh western United States desert in Utah, when I've gone riding out there, I can go a whole day and not drain the bladder of 100 ounces of water. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what is in this stuff. <laughs> if it's causing all of these, and, and, and of course we haven't got to the warning yet. But the warning, you know, at the outset of the of the show, that says it all. Don't operate heavy machinery. Don't navigate the slipstream under the influence of this beverage. What's in this stuff? And if you're consuming 100 ounces of it, you might need to go to rehab.
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> you might need to seek professional help. That's a little scary because I hadn't really thought too much about that. But you say that, and maybe we should save this for later, but Those are things that Harper does all the time. Yes. Which, yeah, I feel like we need to
0: come back to this when we discuss the character. The character application.
1: Or the quote. Yeah, or the quote. Yeah, there you go. When we get to that segment.
0: So, uh, Ryan, if you're going to Vegas, um, be sure and take Trance along. Yeah. Because luck has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. She knows exactly... Where that ball's going to land. Red, black, whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. Let it ride. Yeah. Uh, you might get yourself in trouble, though.
0: It's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Make her dance around between some of the games and then go to another casino. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Mix it up. Um, get a few of them wrong. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Pad, pad a little bit mm-hmm. and then say, we're going to budget this much to lose just to kind of throw the house off. Mm-hmm. But we're coming out winners. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. There you go. That's a smart strategy. <laughs> Not one that they held to. No, unfortunately, no. Uh, something that I thought was a little weird about this episode was um, there was there was one particular scene that I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't even mention it in my summary. I completely skipped over this scene. It was the uh, I believe it was the second scene in the episode uh, when when Rami is going around and picking up all of Harper's stuff. Yeah. Okay. And and Becca is talking to him, you know, that's when they have the conversation about all the, the mess and the and the, 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 the stuff, the Sparky Cola that Harper drinks, and they start talking about Dylan and how it seems like something's wrong with him. And how and Rami explains to him, you know, this is his fourth year. This is his okay, uh, Yeah, all yeah. right. And they're they're supposed to be inspecting and then handing it off and and to the first officer. And then Becca gets it. She's like, Oh, Rade, the one his best friend that eventually betrayed him and tried to kill him. Um, and it seemed like that was going to be really getting deep into some character stuff. And then it's over it, it had nothing to do with anything it seemed like and and they never ever ever come back to this again. There's no conversation between Dylan and Becca. There's not even that obvious lack of a conversation between them. You know what I mean you know yeah. how it's like yeah. when you have that thing between two people it's like they're obviously not talking about something there's not even that they're just getting on with business yeah. It doesn't to us, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with Dylan. Except the fact he's frustrated about the Percy, it's possibly backing out of the Commonwealth. That's the only thing that gives us any impression that Dylan might be upset about something. There's nothing And yet we get this whole extra thing out Mm -hmm. of Romney. Yeah. Yeah. How do
0: how do how do we deal with that? How do we reconcile that with the show? It sounds like to me like we're getting down into what we learn about the show itself. Okay. So are we moving into that segment now? Let's go. Oh, let's go for it. Okay, here's my thought on that. Um, and, and maybe this is my tunnel vision narrowing in, so correct me if I'm wrong. I actually really like this, that they had Rami mention this. Okay. Because I it, it, it got me thinking about the show and, and what we've learned so far. What this teaches us is that high guard captains only maintain their command of their ship for four years before your spans right Mm -hmm. that's what it sounds like Mm -hmm. uh then they hand it over to the next officer in line what this does it kind of clarifies some other things that we've seen in universe so far in previous episodes okay because now we think about it this makes andromeda's handover to dylan uh out of character or highly unusual Because Dylan's not inheriting Andromeda as the next officer up, the next one in line. Mm -hmm. He's never served on this ship, but he gets the command of it. That's something that's not typically done. The person that normally gets the command is whoever's been serving on board. Mm -hmm. So we have an unusual situation here in that um, where's the previous commander and first officer of Andromeda? Why Why isn't command being kept you know, within that circle. Mm-hmm. And and something tells me we're going to get a, a, an answer to that in another episode here toward the end of this first season. We're going to find out why Dylan inherits the Andromeda the way he does. And, and too, I, I like this point because it helps us to see how the High Guard keeps the chain of command from becoming stagnant. I think that's it's, it's a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. Keep him on a ship for four years. They do their time there. They hand it off to the next person in line, their first officer or whatever, um, and then they move on to their next assignment. Maybe it's another ship. Maybe it's a, an outpost somewhere. Who knows? Uh-huh. But they, they move on up the chain of command. Uh, I think that's really cool. Uh, it's, it's a neat system. And even though, like you said, we don't get any more and it doesn't really come into play in this particular episode. We don't explore it any further. I think it was great exposition to get. Because it kinda of gives us some insight into the high, how the high
1: guard works. Yeah, so maybe it was just kind of one of those things that the this episode in itself doesn't really have much bearing on the overall story arc. Um So maybe it was kind of one of those things that this is something that does carry out through the rest of the story arc that they decided to put in there. Um just kind of reminding us about what Rade did. Um, and then the situation at the command, like you were just talking about. And even still, I'm not sure about the idea of, of that sort of a system of that's the procedure you serve on the starship for, for four years, you hand it over to your first officer. Is it always going to be that after four years, your first officer is now qualified to to take over this this starship well, not, and he's now the captain. Not if his name is William T. Riker. Well I mean that was his choice. <laughs> he he could have been a captain. He's got no one to blame but himself. Yeah, but
0: you gotta figure if you have a Nietzschean as your first officer, there's no way he's gonna be passed over. I mean he you know he's going through that four years saying, in four years time I'm getting this ship. I better mm-hmm. get it figured out. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I I don't know. I'm not saying that every first officer is going to be a Nietzschean, Mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know. I think if that's the established protocol, basically you don't accept a job as first officer unless you can say, I'm close. I can, you know, in four
1: years time or less, I am going to be ready to captain a ship. Yeah. Well, maybe they they let them be a first officer when they figure they're already ready to be a captain. Yeah. But they got to pay their dues as a first officer.
0: You know, and that's interesting because in the previous episode that we saw... Uh, where they were on that Mobius uh, in, in that special mm-hmm. ops mission, uh, Rade was already giving him the impression that he knew how to make command level decisions. In his mind, he mm-hmm. was he was he was ready to do the cut and dry. You know, we we cut bait when we have to. We we do what we have to to survive. He was already kind of showing, hey, I, I can make the, the hard decisions if it comes down to it. Yeah. So he was already kind of demonstrating what I would think uh, would be kind of an executive decision-making ability.
1: Well, just because someone is willing to – ready and willing to make those hard decisions, uh, as we saw in that episode in Force Perspective, um, if I'm serving under him, they're not always the decisions that I'm comfortable with. Right, right. I would rather uh, – I would rather serve under someone like Hunt. You know, this is a discussion that we've had with some of our other friends before. Um, who's the better captain, Kirk or Picard? Mm-hmm. And you know what camp I'm in? Yeah, um, I'm Picard all yeah. the way. And the question that I posed to one of the the Kirk fans was, "Who would you rather serve under? Under which captain would you rather put on a red shirt and beam down to a strange planet <laughs> yeah. with?" Yeah, and the answer is Picard. Because you're probably not coming back if you go down there with Kirk. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I guess uh, Rade is more like Kirk. Very rash, trigger happy, whereas Picard is much more methodical. Yeah. Um, Really thinks things out much better. Yeah. Well, you notice I said he's he's demonstrating that he has the ability
0: to make command level decisions. I didn't say he's ready for command. And I think even Admiral Stark recognized that. You're there. You're close. Now do your time as a first officer. Get seasoned by someone that is ready for that that type of responsibility.
1: Yeah, I got. Still, I got to get seasoned by someone that does have that experience, and then we'll see. Is what I would like to hear. Not spend the four years getting seasoned, and then she's all yours. Yeah, but I mean,
0: here we're in a. We're in an imperfect military system anyway. I mean, obviously, because it's rotting from the inside, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 very near its fall. Yeah. Maybe this is one of the things that contributes to it. Maybe High Guard captains. We had a, a quote early on that talked about maybe one thing High Guard captains' their flaw was they were too compassionate. Was that it? Too feeling. There was there was fallacy in High Guard captains. Somewhere in there. And it was recognized by history. And so, uh, you know, maybe maybe this program, if this is in fact what's in place. If the
1: Commonwealth High Guard had a weakness, it was this. Its officers were too competent, too caring, and too brave. Okay. That's from the very first episode. Yeah.
0: It, it's recognizing fault within the command structure. Maybe this is partly why that fault was there.
1: Well... Maybe I'm not comfortable with it. I, I, I'll, I'll I'll say this: this system of appointing command is not quite as loose as uh, the way Starfleet does in the reboot movies. Oh, absolutely not. That was okay.
0: We're we're going to get ourselves way off topic if we go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Let's not do that. <laughs> but but you make your point. You, you you have made your point, sir. I I say we move on to the next
1: point. Okay.
0: Let's take just a second. Uh, we have a situation where the Perseids are backing out now mm-hmm. of the uh, the new Commonwealth, right? Yeah. So diplomacy lessons ensue. Uh, Dylan tries to, you know, talk him back in. He's not getting anywhere. So what works? How about a little insulting sass back talk from Becca? Mm-hmm. And that was all that was needed. <laughs> 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 As skittish as the Perseids are um i I just find it odd that they would respond to overt bad mouthing and direct name calling obviously, that Becca goes into. And we don't even get to see the whole clip. And it it, it gets far worse than the little bit that we do see. I, I think it's odd that the Perseids, like I said, they're, they're so skittish, mm-hmm. so non-confrontational, that they would be like, oh, we want to talk to her again. Mm-hmm. We want, yeah, we're back in. <laughs> Oops, our bad. We got a little crazy. Uh, yeah, she talks some sense into us. I, I, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's funny, and it's ironic because Dylan tries to to teach her how to go through proper diplomatic channels and do things in a diplomatic way, and yet she goes off behind Dylan's back, and 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 it, and it works. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, no, <laughs> no, not
1: don't do not do not do this. Definitely <laughs> not with humans. i um, I'm wondering though if the fact that they are Perseids. And they are so shy and so timid, if maybe that made this um, something that that did work for them, because they're non-confrontational. Now you got this crazy woman coming at them, and they're like, whoa, 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 okay, what, whoa, whatever. Whatever it takes to <laughs> shut her up, <laughs> to, to get back on her good
0: side. No, you're, you're right, and I, I, I suppose if, that, if you're looking at it that way, it does work, I suppose. Anyway, yeah, I thought that was just interesting, uh, the way that whole thing panned out there. Uh, the Diary of Hastery. We learn a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mad Perseid. Uh, the diary that's said to contain the route to Tarn Vedra. Mm-hmm. Uh, something tells me we're going to see a little bit more about this in the future. You think so? I think so. This might actually come into play. Maybe even in this first season. It could. We'll see. Okay. Uh And then, uh, oh, uh, yeah, one other thing that I wanted to make mention of. After 100 years, didn't you think it was quite convenient that the asteroid's lights are on and that the air was still breathable in Hastery's lair? Hastery's asteroid? It was convenient. Yeah. So we've established that the asteroid for 100 years has kept the lights on, has kept air in the chambers. Mm Mm-hmm. So, we get into the anteroom, or whatever it is, where Hastery is at, and the dead Nietzschean that, mm-hmm. obviously, he was fighting with. It looks like they just fell down dead a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. After having laid there in reality for close to 100 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> I'm not the most scientific person,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but what tends to happen to flesh and bone bodies after a hundred years in a any location where it, air, they're exposed to air.
1: Well, I think it stays perfectly intact f- forever. Uh, it does? Uh, okay. Well, I mean... That's what we Obviously learned. Obviously,
0: in this universe, this is what
1: happens. Okay. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe they had nanobots that are constantly re- repairing their flesh.
0: So, basically what this means... Yeah, there you go. Venetian, <laughs> <The Nietzschean, laughs> for sure. Yeah, he's got nanobots that's preserving his dead body. Yeah. So, so how does that explain uh, Drago Museveni? That's not a crypt that Tyr is keeping him in.
1: No, but... That's a vacuum freeze dryer. But <laughs> they just died a hundred years ago when there was all of this nanotechnology. Uh, Drago Museveni died hundreds of years ago. Hundreds of, of years, years before. Okay. And, you know, all they did back then, is, if you can believe, it, this barbaric was their bodies just rotted away. Okay. Well, this is, this makes
0: a lot of sense to me now. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Get, my voice is, dri- it's, I'm sorry, it must be the gravel, in, in, the gravelly voice, otherwise it would be dripping with sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, that I, I saw that, and I'm just like, 100 years, really? And they they look like they just laid down to
1: take a nap yeah, just a no, few minutes ago. I was actually very, very confused by that, because I'm, I'm looking, I'm watching this, I'm looking over the transcript, trying to figure out who these guys are. Because I'm thinking, it, it can't be a story. It, right, because he's he's too preserved. Yeah. Um, m- maybe, maybe a mummy. I don't know. But what about this Nietzschean? Yeah. Um, which, which just an observation on the Nietzschean.
0: Uh, speaking of Nietzschean perfection, mm-hmm. um, it really makes me sad to see that they couldn't weed out male pattern baldness <laughs> and the slope chin out of the genetic template. That
1: doesn't bode well for me. Oh. <laughs> oh, I wonder why why you caught that and I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Let me think on that as I run my as fingers you run through, through my flowing lush. thick hair. hair. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah,
0: there's all the hair right there, folks. For that?
1: those of you who uh, have not seen pictures of us, Ethan is bald. I am not. <laughs> Male
0: pattern baldness. Yeah.
1: But I am fat and he goes mountain biking in Utah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. It's trade-offs. Trade-offs in life. There you go. So, we learned a little bit about the Nightsiders. Yes, we do. So, my question is, with what we know about the Nightsiders now, who is actually worse? Nightsiders or Magog?
0: As far as to direct populations, I was going to say, I think the Magog are about as bad as it can be. And we're going to see a little more on that, I think, in the next episode that we're coming up on. But... um if we're talking about whole worlds and ecologies, these Nightsiders sound like they're pretty devastating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, what I'm wondering, because Trance lets us in on this whole thing of what the Nightsiders do. Um, they, they, I don't know if they spawn, lay eggs, or live births, or whatever it is. it doesn't seem odd that they're mammals.
0: They're
1: they, mammalian. They
0: seem to be, yeah. And yet they're laying... T- Tadpoles? They have
1: tadpoles? I don't know. It's kind of an odd evolution, you know. I guess, okay. Okay. Yeah, but they so they have them by the hundreds and then they go out in the water, uh evidently devouring everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. Um and I don't remember did, did Gerentex or one of them say something about uh the, the aquatic d- dwelling um species. I don't, maybe it was just something I was thinking about, like the Castilians. Um, I mean, it would just devastate these kinds of people. Yeah. Um, these ones who live under the water. Uh, it's their entire ecology. Their entire world is underwater. And these these baby Nightsiders go and just devour everything. And I'm wondering, what is that everything? What all is included in everything? Is it just all of the the seaweed and the plankton and and all of the the fish and 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 whatever that they happen to encounter, or does that include even all of the other sentient beings? If if these little baby nightsiders are just they're they're say they they lay them right there on top of a, a Castilian city, do do, the, do those nightsiders just go down and devour everyone Consume in the city? Flesh. Well, it's... I would say no, because
0: the Nightsiders don't have a reputation for cannibalism or eating other species. That isn't what people are... It's not that they're afraid of them. They just don't want them around, because they are so devastating to planetary systems. To so the they're, more like, they're more like silverfish. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. It, it, it's It's plant life and algaes and 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 things that sustain higher forms of life they go for those things those sustaining systems and they just break them down so they're a pest yeah yeah a nuisance mm-hmm. yeah. uh i, I, I we're going to come back to this this very discussion that we're having right now mm-hmm. we're going to come back to this in the next episode okay so uh, yeah, you know, stick a pin in that, and we'll be able to continue it. So let's go ahead and move on to what do we what have we learned about our characters in this uh, in this particular episode? Fear and loathing in the Milky Way.
1: You know what? There's there's quite a bit of character stuff here. Uh, not too much from Rev Bim because again, he's not in this he's episode. Not in it. <laughs> uh, we don't really get a lot from Tier. He's in one scene. I think he had like four or five lines. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Becca and Dylan are in it a bit more, but we don't really learn anything new about no, them. No,
0: it's, we just get to see them come together for, like you said, the, mm-hmm. the bad Corona commercial, right? And, and and we know that things are warm and fuzzy for them.
1: Right. Uh, Rami, you know, she has her little rant about Harper's leaving his stuff everywhere. And I'm not exactly sure why she's cleaning up. I mean, there's probably other service droids that could <laughs> do something like that. We've, we've seen quite a few of them in the background. Uh-huh. Send
0: one of those to go do it. Yeah.
1: Was like, hey, you're not doing anything.
0: Wandering you- <laughs> the halls. You <laughs> yeah. know,
1: quit wandering the halls and go clean up Harper's room. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, this episode is really about Harper and Trance, and, and I say more for
0: Harper. Mm-hmm. This is this, we learn more about Harper, I think, than anyone else.
1: Yeah, and there's there's definitely some Trance stuff. We'll get to that, yeah. but but yeah, you're right. Harper is really the focus of the uh, of the character stuff in this episode. Um, it's not necessarily that we learn anything new, really, but we definitely i guess we kind of do because we see a totally different side at least we see a side that we've seen of him before but is definitely at a different level we've come we've become accustomed to seeing harper as a happy
0: go lucky mhm and we know he was a tough kid and we know he knows how to be tough mm-hmm. or at least act tough mhm but i never had the perception that he Was tough, Mm -hmm. that he could do bad things until this episode. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes apparent that he isn't at least for me in my observation he wasn't a naturally good guy. Uh, And even still, even on Andromeda,
1: he's not naturally good. Yeah, well we've seen him do terrible things before. True. We've seen him wipe out hundreds of thousands of Nietzscheans with one bomb thing. Yeah. Um I, I guess
0: <clears throat> I guess what it comes down to is is we've seen him do the, like I said he's done the tough guy ploy but it isn't so much a ploy I think after seeing this episode. It's like he mm-hmm, can really flip mm-hmm. the switch and he can be a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And and it's it is not so much of a stretch as maybe what we were led to believe in previous episodes.
1: Right. Well, what is it Jaren Tech says to him after he uh after he releases the pressure? And the guy gets blown out into space. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jarentex, what is it he says? What was his exact quote? Says, you're, you're a bad guy. Or, yeah, you, you're. Yeah, something like you are a bad guy or you are a bad. Yeah, guy. here it is in the transcript. He says, Jarentex says to Harper, "You are a very bad person."
0: Yeah. And what's Harper's response to
1: that? Uh, Harper says, "You're welcome." <laughs> yeah. You know, well, the typical Harper, tongue in cheek. Uh huh.
0: But yeah, I mean, he's. He can be nasty. Mm-hmm. He can be nasty, and and I think Trance sees that in him now, mm-hmm. and, and she's responding to it a little bit more, mm-hmm. and realizes that she has to be a little bit more of the counterweight for the, for that. So yeah, we learned that
1: about Harper. Oh, and he's a slob. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, he was funny. I have to admit, as silly and cheesy as it is, I laughed. When he opened the door and it hit Jarentex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was just something about, it seems like something I would do to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so,
0: so uh, you, you mentioned that we learned a little bit about, about Trance. What's your observation on Trance?
1: Well, you know, again, like I said with Harper, I don't know that we learned anything really incredibly new about Trance, but we definitely saw her take it to another level yeah um the way she is totally playing Jarentex. I mean she starts playing that sympathy card and very quickly earned his trust, yeah, and maybe Jarentex is just an idiot and because it seems like he fell for it very easily, you know it's just like, oh, it must be so hard. it really is hard <laughs> let's talk about it now and <laughs> So I don't yeah. know if that's Jarrontex just just being a total pushover or if it's trance really being able to play with somebody's mind, yeah, well you know it's kind of interesting Jarronex from the
0: beginning of the show you would totally not see him in this position uh from what we learned from the character in the first two episodes, mm-hmm. but you know six months in a life pod drifting in space and then you know getting onto whatever drift he he came onto and realizing just how much for lack of a better term doo-doo he's in (laughs) for all the money he's lost and how much he owes his creditors and whatnot. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he has no friends whatsoever. (laughs) So the, these two people that he runs into, uh, Trance and Harper, he knows them. It's, it's, he's now at war with himself. He, he has desires. He wants, he doesn't want to be a, truly bad person he just wants to get set in life and and you know have his swamp world with his tadpoles you know <laughs> but <laughs> but uh you know he, he's he got to connect with the people that he's been thrown in with again and uh so maybe yeah maybe he is a little more willing to connect with someone see someone as more of a friend rather than just a means to an end
1: yeah um, but you know Fool me once, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but then she does it again. True, and he uh, he falls for it uh, again. again. Yeah. yeah, So it it does shame on the you, Jaren Tech. Yeah,
0: shame on yeah. It stretches the limits. So that's what we learn about our characters, uh, Ryan. What was the saying we had again for this uh, this particular episode to start it out?
1: Warning: Do not operate heavy machinery or navigate the slipstream while under the influence of this beverage sparky cola label 291 afc afc that's uh after fall yeah after the fall yeah which we've yeah. seen that uh yeah we've seen that dating system before but yeah. so Sp-
0: sparky cola is a fairly recent invention within the last say 20 years or so
1: well i mean at least it's still around yeah i mean you know there's there's uh there's labels on on coca-cola right now true would, would you say it's a Fairly recent invention? No, it's been around, what, 1870s, something like that? Yeah. 1880s? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's... I guess, cosmically speaking, it's not been around that long. True. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I guess, let, what, what do we figure? We're probably, after the fall of Commonwealth, how long? 303. 303 years. Yeah, but... So, I don't know exactly where this, this AFC... Uh, calendar starts uh, in comparison to the uh the commonwealth calendar um but but either way i mean you're still it's it's only 9 years different from 300 years we know that Dylan was frozen for 303 years yeah so we know that we're we're within a decade of what's going on in this episode yeah it, it's really not important but it's just kind of a a a little detail that I was kind of just trying to work out in my head um, yeah, nasty stuff. <clears throat> I don't know if it's like, uh, if you compare it to the energy drinks and stuff, like the, well, I don't want to say any names, I don't want to get in any trouble, but you know, just, there's a lot of the energy drinks. Now let's be upfront about it. Monster. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nasty stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I'm scared of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, like like we were saying, it, and if you're consuming a hundred ounces of it a oh, day, man. like apparently Harper is, uh, no, it, it explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. talk, talk about learning a little bit about Harper. Yeah, we've learned a lot about Harper and his uh, his his mood. Yeah, <laughs> and, and apparent mood swings at times too. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's got to be affecting you uh, psychologically. Yeah, pharmacologically. perhaps even
1: yeah i would think so and you know i guess he's been drinking it long enough that it it affects him enough so that he is just totally bonkers
0: yeah what he does he does make the mention that he's suffering from caffeine withdrawal doesn't he Oh, okay. Yeah, he does. Okay. Well, he's strapped into the chair, yeah. uh, flying the Maru. Did he say caffeine
1: specifically? Yes, he did
0: specifically say caffeine headache. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. Maybe that's just an
1: expression 3,000 years from now. <laughs> yeah, <it> maybe. Because <laughs> obviously there's more than caffeine going on in this stuff, apparently. Yeah, well, you know what? Still, 100 ounces of, of caffeine... Any any sort yeah. of caffeinated drink. Okay, let's think of like the most the highest caffeinated uh, soft drinks. The one I like think of is Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Yeah. Um, think about drinking a hundred ounces of Mountain Dew a day. I get ill thinking about drinking sixteen ounces.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I did that today, oh. actually. As a matter of fact, and uh, yeah, bellyache. Mm. I haven't drank that stuff in a while, but uh, yeah, this is just this is nasty stuff.
1: Yeah. Harper needs some
0: help. I think so. perhaps we'll see an episode in the future
1: where they have an intervention. Oh, okay. That'd be good. Wouldn't
0: that be nice for That'd Harper? be good.
1: Yeah, you know, this is just kind of one of those quotes that uh it it kind of gives us a little bit of insight into the universe. Um there's still advertising, there's there's still um evidently a surgeon general. Yeah. Um but but there as far as any specific insight into this episode, and really giving us a whole lot to to chew on and think about. It it's it's supposed to be a very lighthearted quote. It's yeah. not it's not really one of the deeper well, quotes that we've had in the past. Yeah,
0: I think it's in keeping with the show itself. Yeah. the show
1: trades a lot
0: of storytelling and seriousness. It trades a lot, some of that off. For humor, mm-hmm. and, and and I think we get that in the quote here too. By the way, I emailed Don at uh, tshirtbordello.com. dot com. I wanted to see this quote uh, as a label on a Sparky mm-hmm. Cola deal on a t shirt. Okay, and uh, yeah, write into uh, tshirt bordello dot com and uh, let them know you, the listener, that you want to see this warning
1: <laughs> on a
0: t shirt that you can buy and wear. Wouldn't that be great?
1: And he'll do it too. He
0: will do it. <laughs> we we don't have a promise, but he he, he was looking for suggestions. Yeah. So there you go. So uh, Ryan, all in all, we've we've discussed the show, uh, the characters, the the show itself, the little odds odds and ends and quirks that we liked and disliked. Mm-hmm. Tell us now,
1: what's your feeling on the show itself? You know what happens um, time and time again. We're only seventeen in, but. But it's happened several times. We'll, we'll start an episode, and I'll start thinking about it before I watch it, thinking, no, you know, I just I remember that episode when I watched it the first time around, and I just wasn't really that crazy about it. I'm not excited about watching this. And then I watch it, and I'm like, okay, there's some stuff. I'm still not crazy about it. And then we talk about it, and the more we talk about it and really get deep, and I just completely change my mind. hmm and this was kind of one of those episodes where when I, I knew we were going to watch it, I was like, uh, I'm not really crazy about it. I don't really think I'm... Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not even really wanting to watch this, really. Um, and I watched it, still wasn't really crazy about it. Um, we we talked about it. I'm still not really crazy about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it wasn't... <laughs> All of that, and you're still coming around on the side of... of... Dissension. Yeah, really. Yeah, I don't. I just. I wasn't crazy about this one. It was just, you know, I've said it before. Um, stories that have very, very little to do with the overall story arc, to me, are are a little bit of a waste of my time. And maybe that's unfair because I know a lot of times maybe people like these kinds of episodes because it takes us out of it just a little bit, it gives us a little bit of a break, it gets us a chance it gives us a chance to get to know these characters um, a little bit better maybe in a little bit of a different situation but to me it's just a waste of time I want to know where they're going with their mission with the overall story arc of the show um, I want to get to it I want to find out what happens next this wasn't a what happens next this was a what happens in the meantime um, I mean in, in it, there are things definitely that do matter um, we, we find the diary and not to give away too much but it's important um, but I'm not sure that that couldn't have been done in an episode that meant more overall um, just the, the conversation between Rami and Becca to me felt so incredibly out of place now, maybe that was a conversation that had to happen. Maybe that was something we had to see. But I would have liked to have seen it in the episode matter a little more. And I really cannot stand Jarentex <laughs> as a villain. Oh, God, he is awful. Yeah. I can't stand looking at him. I can't stand <laughs> listening to him. There's just nothing about Jarentex that I like. Yeah. <laughs> Not a thing. I can't stand him. Yeah so if if I, can't I see, stand yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I can't uh, I think this was an this was a a pretty okay episode, in spite of all those things that I just said, but if I'm gonna give this a rating scale of one to ten, I'm thinking probably a two or a three that low, huh, yeah, but that's just me, you know. It's rare that we take a polar
0: opposite view. Really? And, and believe it or not, I am taking a polar opposite view of you from you on, on this one. Good. I like that. Because I, unlike you, I, I think we get a lot out of this episode about the universe that we're talking about. Even from the very beginning, the, the quote, the, the sparky cola quote, you're learning not something specific and direct into the, the canon of the show, but you're getting some little detail that tells you about this universe that you've been thrust into. And I like that. And then the diary of Hastry, uh, that's going to come into play later in the show. Mm -hmm. It's relevant. It means something. Um, the, the, you pointed out the whole deal with, uh, the high guard and how it promotes its commanders. Mm -hmm. And, and that got me thinking about future episodes and how that's relevant. So we learn a lot of things in-universe that are going to impact this, the story later on. And for me, I, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I want to know. I want to see something that's contributing to the ongoing story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I think we got enough of this to where it makes the show valid. It mm-hmm. makes the show worth watching. And then the fact that we got storytelling and we got some seriousness in there, but we also got a heavy dose of humor as well. Um, for me, the, the, the whole episode works. I mean, even when it comes down to the lesson at the end of it and the lessons that I pull out of it is, is there's no honor among thieves. Trust is essential for any enterprise or any effort, uh, that you, that you put forth. And then, trance at the end she says beautiful things can change the universe. Those are those are excellent lessons. And and um all of it while at times a little cheesy and yeah Jarentic's makeup is pathetic uh and as a villain, yeah, I agree with you. He's not a good villain. He he's so wishy washy and back and forth and he's he's hard, hard nosed at one point and then, you know, ready to Crying his beer with Trance the next you know but despite all of that I really like this episode and I actually really enjoyed watching it this is one of those that if somebody said and I don't want to start from the beginning and go to the end I just want to watch a couple episodes in the first season this would be one of them I'd tell them to watch wow I I I would
1: (laughs) and the fact that Sloth was in it
0: um, I'm pleased as punch to have watched this episode
1: All right. well, that's cool, honestly, because it seems to this point we have for the most part agreed on everything uh that's boring <laughs> so so that that's fantastic that we're that we're disagreeing on this episode um and you know maybe I was a little hard on it, and uh, don't you go
0: back Catalina, no, me... I'm
1: not I'm not I'm <laughs> sticking to what I said. All those things that I said bothered me, they did bother me, and they still do. There also have been in several episodes that I consider to be good episodes. Many other things like those that bothered me, but overall, I thought it was a good episode. Yeah. Maybe what it all comes down to, if if our antagonist had not been Jarentex, maybe my view of this episode is completely different. That's possible. But I really cannot stand Jarentex that much. <laughs> He's such a bad villain. Yeah. There's nothing about him that I like. And and I don't mean that in the sense like because he's a bad guy and he's made to not like him. I just can't stand him. He's he's just he's awful. He's an awful villain. Okay. I, I think we get it. <laughs> are, do, we get are you are you hearing what I'm saying? I, I I maybe. Okay. It's a soft maybe. All right. All right. <laughs> but maybe if they have just some brand new villain that we've never seen before. And it, it it all could have been set up the same way. He overhears a conversation. He knows there's a way to my next stop. Here's a way to get away from this guy that's that's after me. I mean, I guess they they've wanted to tie that in of knowing why the bounty hunter was after him. Yeah. But still, there can be a bounty hunter after a criminal that sure. we've never seen before. <laughs> Granted. sloth can still be in this episode without <laughs> Gerentex. Junk. Yeah. <laughs> uh. so, so you made your
0: point. Okay. You made your point. I like, right. the, I like the episode. You think I, it's okay, but you hate Gerentex. Yeah, I can't stand it. That's our opinion. Mm-hmm. You, the listener, though, why don't you chime in and let us know what you think about this particular episode. Or any episode that you uh, have listened to. You can do so by Email. You can email us at drivebackthenightpodcast at
1: gmail.com. And we're also on the social medias, Facebook and Twitter, using the handle AndromedaPod on both of those places. We're at Podbean, .podbean www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. And we're on iTunes. And if you subscribe and listen to us on there, give us some
0: stars, give us a review. We'd certainly appreciate it. We'd also like to take a moment and thank Tim Kimmerly for giving us the voice at the outset of the episode. And uh, we are an Age of Geek production. You can find them at uh, www.ageofgeek.com. And we encourage you all to join us next week as we go into episode 18 The Devil Take the Hindmost.